Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome guys back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 27 and what I'm going to be doing in this episode is talking about a recent trip that we did to Burrenjuk Dam and I'm going to explain what we learned on the trip because in every single trip that we do and it same goes for you, every trip that you do, you should be learning something and I will learn something very, very important on this trip and I want to share it with you. This trip uh, and this episode is just me speaking to you so it's just me on my own and won't be a huge episode, but as always, we're going to share plenty of content and plenty of tips. Uh, it's going to be a very exciting episode. I'm going to be covering basically the trip, uh, when we went, what the conditions were like, how it all panned out, and what we did to find success. Uh, and before we get into the episode, we're also going to touch on a few listener questions. So before we jump in and talk about the recent trip, let's jump in and talk, or sorry, let's go over a few listener questions. And I want to thank everyone for sending in listeners and questions. It's great to have them coming through and I have a couple here to answer for you. Now, the first one is from Dylan Turner. Uh, Dylan is from Tenterfield in New South Wales um, and he's asked, what is your preferred method for targeting golden perch in dams and lakes in low light periods? It's a really good question because it's something we don't really, really cover that much and I don't think I've written a piece on this or explained it ever before uh, because come nighttime, we usually chase cod but before Blaring Dam was open to cod fishing in the spring uh, we used to spend quite a bit of time at night chasing golden perch and and there's a couple of different techniques you can use that, that have had success for us and I know a fella up there now that I've just been talking to he's actually been getting fish at Blaring um, golden perch in the dark now that it's summer uh, and what he's been doing is he's just been casting smaller spinnerbaits in the shallows so five eighth of an ounce or a one ounce spinnerbait not, not tiny ones but you know a size that you would use in a river um, and he's been casting them into the shallows and against the rocky banks and he's been catching fish and that's what I've done a bit of as well um, to answer the question what I've done a bit of in the dams is there's two methods um, the, the more unconventional one is probably casting uh, I've found a few good snag piles in the dam casting small spinnerbaits at the snag piles that golden perch sit on or, or rocky points basically you just want to find out where they're schooling and where they're sitting that could be in a little rocky bay or off rocky points if you're gonna, th- if you can throw even a lipless crankbait in the dark and hop it down the bank, spinnerbait seem to work really well too in the dark. Um, you will catch fish if it's a shallower lake. Um, hard bodies will work in the dark. But another technique, especially in the impoundments that I love, is trolling. Uh, and basically, it's the same technique used for the big cod. You just downsize your lures. So we're using like 50 mil to 70 mil, maybe up to 80, 90 in a slim profile. Um, so, because a lot of the times it might be say summer and you just want to catch a fish. So we might use like a 90 or 100 mil smaller sort of profile lure that'll catch cod and, and goldens. If we're fishing in the spring though, we'll probably go 70 mil millimeters at the max. Uh, like the 70 mil AC invader is the lure I would tie on in the 30 foot bib and I'd troll that around. Uh, the difference to trolling for big cod is you're probably going to go a little bit faster, uh, especially if the goldens are active. 
And basically, you just troll along, and the rocky points are the key spots. That's where we find a lot of our golden perch. They'll, they'll be sitting deeper on those rocky points, um, and they could vary in depth. Uh, in spring, you could get them from four to five to six meters, and now that it's summer, I'd be trolling deeper than six, probably six to nine meters or eight meters for them. But a sounder is key for that because it will show the goldens. It will show what depth they're sitting at, and then you just want to pick that depth till you start catching fish and then stay at that depth. So they're the techniques I'd use for targeting goldens in low light periods. Hope that helps answer your question, Dylan. Uh, the next question here is from Jackson Taylor, mate. Uh, he has, thank you very much for sending a message through. Uh, now, Jackson has asked, I have been trying my luck at cod since opening in impoundments such as Burrenjuk and Wyangla fishing the afternoons till about 11 at night and early mornings throwing big spinnerbaits, mumblers, plastics and swim baits in four to six meters of water and have been struggling this season to find them. Do you have any tips for cod in impoundments? So it's a big question, mate. Thanks for sending it through. Just to break it up a bit, uh, touching on the solution to your question could be anywhere in that first question. So basically, you want to, you're struggling to catch fish in impoundments. Uh, you fish Burrenjuk and Wyangala um, afternoons till late and then in the morning and you're throwing the right lures in the right depths. Now, it, it could be a multitude of things. It depends how many trips you've done. If you've done two, three trips... You know, it could have been poor weather at the time um, and it's probably not enough trips to figure out, you know, if the technique's wrong. So, a lot of the things that's the hardest part as well in what we do is to help you guys catch fish is the technique you use out on the water is critical and the way you fish and it's probably the hardest thing to get right. Um, all, all these kind of things like boat positioning, how quickly you're moving the boat, where you're casting your lure based on where the boat moves, um, allowing the lure to sink, how you allow it to sink, how much slack line you have when you let it sink, how you work your lure along the bottom, the retrieve, your contact with your lure, um, the feelings of knowing if you're feeling like you're in a good spot or you're doing the right technique, reading your sound, all of those things they're very, very important and they're hard to just explain. Like I could go on for a whole episode talking about all of those things and what you need to do properly. So it could be one of those things. It could be a weather thing. Like we've been, we were at Burrenjuk and I'm going to explain it in this episode. There's a few things that went on and we had to work for our fish. So um, you could be doing the right things and you're just up there at the wrong time but it doesn't mean that technique's wrong. So that could be an impact. But with cod, the biggest thing is you just got to keep trying. But for those lakes, if you're not getting fish, what I would do is I'd start with small fish. So I'm not sure if you're targeting smaller or large fish. And for anyone else out there listening to this episode, if, if it depends on the size of the fish you want to target. And if you're struggling to catch anything, downsize your lures and just get on the board and work them out. Work out cod, get some hits, get some numbers on the board before you go out and chase giant fish, especially if you're just keen to get a fish. So I'd be using smaller lures. Mumblers are a great lure to use. Um, they catch big and small fish. Mumblers are a really good option. They fish really well. They're easy to use and they catch fish. If you're fishing a very snaggy timbered area, you can't go wrong with spinnerbaits, especially in these lakes that have not such clear water. Burrenjuk, Wyangala, they're both quite dirty. Um, you can see a little bit at some stages, but majority of the time, they're, they're not the cleanest water, not crystal clear water, so you can get away with a spinnerbait. Something's got a lot of flash vibration. They work really well, especially in the timber. Swim baits and plastics 
are a little bit harder to use. Plastics aren't too bad, actually. Swim baits are a lot harder to use. Plastics are quite easy as long as there's not too many snags. Rocky banks are fine, but timber's no good. But plastics are quite easy. You cast them in, let them sink, and just slow roll them back. If you're struggling to get fish, I would leave swim baits alone for now and surface lures. Start with your mumblers, your spinner baits, and your plastics. And it's all about basically fishing confident. And if you're not sure where to start, just fish structure. Fish a rocky bank. Rocky banks are probably the go-to if you just want to get on the board and start catching fish. Now, one thing I do recommend is as I touched on all those things that could be not happening, um, that you're not getting right, like all those things I mentioned at the start, we do cover them in great detail because it's so hard to explain over a podcast and, and in a short time period, but we've got the Complete God series. Uh, go have a look at that. There's a Murray Cotting Dam series for anyone who's keen to learn how to cast, how to troll, the techniques to use for chasing big Murray Cod in dams. Just jump on the Social Fishing website and have a look at the Complete Guide Lure Fishing series. We created it to help you guys catch more fish so go check that out Um, and i highly recommend if you haven't seen already mate go have a look at that if you have seen it you'd understand what i'm talking about and there might be a bit more to basically what's going on it could be a weather thing but just keep at it keep fishing you're fishing the right depth using the right lures Um, and just if you have seen it go check out that video again and just follow everything we explained in that and if you haven't seen it go check it out thanks for your question jackson now the next question the last one before we get into the episode is from George Matthews, who's from Forbes. Uh, now, George asks, what are your favorite brands of lures to use in a river with dirty water for Murray Cod and Yellowbelly? Great, great question, mate. Um, and I do get this question quite a lot. I've had a few people message this through before we started the podcast about dirty water. And it's a tricky thing. And it depends on if the water, and this is something you need to consider when you're fishing a waterway, it depends on if the water is dirty and it depends on, sorry, what the water usually is. What's its normal, stable sort of, you know, what does the water run at? Is it usually always dirty or is it clear and then it's become dirty? Because the, the answer to that question differs quite a lot. When it's normally clear and then it becomes dirty, your fishing is going to be tough full stop. It's going to be very, very hard. If it's always dirty, that's fine because the fish are used to it and have adapted to it. Now, the, the favorite brand, the question is, what are my favorite brands of lures to use in a river with dirty water? It, the brands don't matter so much. Uh, it's more, and it's more about what type of lure. You can catch fish on a subtle lure in dirty water. And a lot of people think you need the loudest lure going to get them, but you don't, especially if the water is always dirty. You can use subtle lures, but in saying that, Dirty water is where the louder lures do come into play. So, for example, the Murrumbidgee River that we fish, it runs clear and dirty depending on rainfall. When we do have a sort of discolored water, that's when I'll use bigger blades, flashy stuff, um, big flashy blades to attract the fish or a hard body that has a rattle. In clear water and 90% of the time, I'm not a fan of a rattle in a hard body. But in dirty water, that's when I will use it confidently because those fish do need that bit more of a rattle and a bit more noise to hone in on the lure basically and a, and a rattle won't scare them away, especially if they're active. But what I do recommend is go check out one of our episodes on dirty water. Um, it, we It was with Chris. Uh, I did an episode on fishing dirty water, an entire episode, and basically we covered what to do in dirty water, how to fish it, how it all works, 
basically everything you need to know. So just go check out that episode. The episode was episode seven, fishing in tough conditions. So in that, we touch on fishing in dirty water. So if you haven't already, go listen to that episode. But thanks for sending through that listen to question, George. And if any of you guys out there have a question for us, you want me to answer, you want me to go into detail on it, send through your listener questions through the Social Fishing account. You can sign up for a free Social Fishing account at socialfishing.com.au and you can send us through some listener questions. On the website is also where you can check out that complete guide lure fishing series. So guys, uh, let's jump in and let's talk about my recent trip to Burrenjuk. So as I said at the start of the episode, that is what I wanted to talk about and that's what this episode is all about. So Basically, it was a couple weeks ago and it was right in the middle of the 44 degrees, that really, really warm streak that come through. So depending on where you are living, it might have been a different temperature, but like through sort of south, southern New South Wales, we had that, that four, it was 44 degrees for the two days. We, we were there for three days, but we left on the Sunday early. But for the Friday, Saturday, it was extremely hot. Uh, and we had this trip planned. There was eight of us, 10 of us, there was 10 of us going and then it was, yeah, no, eight of us and then there was six of us for two of the nights and for one of the nights, sorry, and eight for another one of the nights and and the plan was to go to Burrenjuk, we had it planned for ages and any other trip I probably would have postponed because, you know, I'll fish in tough conditions but when it gets that hot, it, it's a bit ridiculous, um, and it's not it's not enjoyable at all. Um, like we love to film on our trips, we we couldn't really film in that kind of temperature because it's just too hot on the gear. We actually couldn't fish during the day in that temperature in the end, but we wanted to go anyway because we'd planned this trip, um, and all the boys were really keen. So the trip was planned, and we were heading to Burrenjuk. So in forty four degrees, I was expecting it to be tough, and and my outlook on the trip was Burrenjuk is a really, really good lake to fish, especially if you just want to go catch a fish. You know, there's heaps of those smaller fish. There's plenty of timber and rocky banks and you can cast spinnerbaits around, use smaller lures and you can catch fish. At the right time of year, you know, you could go out and get three or four nice smaller cod for a morning or an afternoon if you're using smaller lures. If you're targeting big, big fish, we're obviously not going to be catching those numbers of fish. But, you know, it's a great place to go do that and it's also a great place to go fish uh, standing trees in the summertime for golden perch. You know, they school up in big numbers and they can be relatively easy to catch depending on the conditions. And that's what we learned about this trip. Now, we arrived at Burrenjuk at about oh, 11 o'clock on the Friday. Two of the boys had already head out and we went out and we camped out in the lake. That's the good thing about Burrenjuk. If you've never been there before, you can come into the state park or in at Woolgarlow. You can pay, you have to pay to get through the gates. But after that, you can head out and basically camp anywhere on a bank, roll out a swag, and basically that's what we did. We filled, loaded the boats full of gear, absolutely jam-packed full of stuff, and we head out to our spot that we were going to camp. And we set up, and it was stinking hot. Like, I've never fished in such hot temperatures before. It was so hot, and we took a gazebo to set up, cover all our eskies and our swags and our gear. And we set up, and, and basically once we were ready, we headed out for our afternoon session. Uh, and it was it was late. It was about five o'clock um, because it was just too hot during the day. And we, we spent time setting up and getting gear ready and just sitting in the cool. 
And our plan was to fish the timber, fish the standing trees, uh, because the fish actually hold in the standing trees. The cod hold um, midway up in the standing trees, and they also sit down on the base in all the fallen timber. So we weren't fishing any particular bank. Uh, it was just an area with standing trees, and we could we were fishing anywhere between ten and you know three. Oh, not three. We're quite deep between ten and six meters, and we're just casting and cutting the standing trees in half and casting close to them and past them. And as the light fell, it felt extremely good. We didn't have a hit, um, but as it was getting darker and darker, it was glassed out. We threw surface. We cast spinnerbaits at the trees. And I knew people who caught, even the week before, I knew a mate who had caught six fish doing this technique just for an afternoon. Got one in the afternoon and then five the next morning just in a couple of hours, just smaller fish, but casting small lures at the timber. And we thought, we'll do that and we'll get off the board and catch a few fish. Between eight of us we fished till dark um, a couple of boys took off to a different spot we didn't get a touch there at all not a single touch and it felt good but it was hot it was extremely hot the water was tipping close to 30 degrees surface temp but we went swimming during the day and the, you'd be surprised how much the water cools off when you get deeper um, and i know you'd probably already know it but it's something you don't really realize 30 degrees surface temp if you stand up you know what are we 1.8 meters tall roughly you know, down where your feet are is a lot cooler than up near your head, um, up near the surface. So it's it's interesting to the whole water column isn't 30 degrees. The fish will just move around to get to that nice temperature that they need to be at. And that's something we sometimes forget. So what we did is if dark fell, we kept working the trees. We worked hard till 11 o'clock, come back. Uh, nothing. No one got a fish. Actually, the first night, that's a lie, Talus got a nice yellow, like a mid-50 centimetre yellow belly on a big uh, big gut spinnerbait. Um, but that was a bycatch. That's not the species we were after. We're chucking big lures for big cod, and he did catch a yellow belly, and that was it. Then we all headed out early. Um, we are up at all up at 4.30, cause we th- and this is a key. In summer, when it's a lot warmer, you want to fish morning especially in rivers, but dams as well. Morning is usually going to be a better bite, usually. If you were to fish every morning and afternoon through summer, you would probably get more fish and more consistency in the morning because the water is cooler and the fish will have switched on overnight in the cooler water. It's dropped a little bit and that's when they'll feed. When it's too hot for them, the afternoon is the worst temperature and they'll be tougher to catch. So we thought we'll head out in the morning, we'll try and get a fish. So instead of fishing the standing trees, first light what we did is we found a rocky point now this rocky point ran in into the water and it shallowed right up and ran pretty shallow so it was a perfect perfect rocky point but either side was really deep but this shallow thing was perfect early morning feeding zone so what it did is it ran down quite steep and it looked like it kept going steep into the water but we found it that afternoon before and it sort of shallowed off a bit and we were way out off this point we were only in four meters like we were three cast distance from the point um that's quite a long way we're probably oh 35 40 meters maybe from the point and we're only in that four meters either side of the point dropped off really steep that's the perfect spot to fish early morning so i used a shallow running um 
I actually used a ballista tremor, didn't dive very deep at all, just gets under the water. Chris used a surface lure and then a swim bait would have worked perfect. And we fished this point and the light was just starting to come up and Chris changed to a mumbler and he'd had a few casts at this rocky point. Anyway, I drove, initially I held the boat off this rocky point and we cast onto it and over it because that's where the fish are going to be and we did that up for a while and then we ended up on top of the point. And Chris cast diagonally sort of parallel to this steep bank not really realizing, I didn't realize how quickly this point dropped off. So we're sitting on the top of this ridge and he's cast and he's done this cast as we moved onto it, the first one as we moved onto it. So it's gone past the point and it's sunk, sinking, sinking, sinking and it's sunk for ages and Chris was like, wow, that's deep, um, deeper than like what we were just working. One lift and got absolutely pummeled. He got hammered, hooked up and popped him straight away, snapped him off and we were like, what happened there like he barely like he put weight on the fish but a fish shouldn't break you off that easy and in the end we worked it out um what had happened is because we were sitting on this point we weren't actually quite on top of it we were on this other side of it and chris had cast over it because of the angle of how deep that lure went i think it went down to 11 meters we didn't even realize how deep it was there um 11 or 12 meters and this fish has hit it and pulled tight and that ridge that rocky ridge was in the way and it's just clean snapped him spewing because it was a good fish and it was our first hit from a solid session and it and it was gone so that was that was tough but it, it gave us a bit of an insight you know first hit 12 meters of water okay that's something we continue to work this rocky bank we worked that you know seven eight nine ten meters of water along this rocky bank no luck light come up fished in the standing trees a bit more and we, we ended up shooting up to a new spot fished really hard as the sun come up and nothing i actually got a hit at about 10 30 if any of any of you guys followed the instagram story and i thought it was a good fish i was hopping a 100 mil mazzy so it's like a big lipless crankbait. Um, it's a good snack size for a cod, uh, but it's quite large. It's, you wouldn't get you like you wouldn't really get golden perch on it. Even if you did, the golden's never going to swallow it. And I was hopping it down this bank, and I just paused it under the boat before it was on its way up. And as it's paused, something tapped it, and I struck, and it felt like a decent fish. Like it felt like a 60, 65 centimeter cod. And at this stage, we just wanted to get off the mark because we were struggling. And I'll be honest, we just could not get them to bite. And I was on. I'm like, yeah, finally, we're off the mark. Because it's that massive lift off your shoulders when you're on a trip and and you can't get off the mark and you finally do. And I'm winding up, winding up. And I hooked a red fin. Hooked One hook was through its mouth and the other hook went through its tail. Somehow it hooked up like that. And it felt like it was a decent weight. Not huge, but like a 60-centimeter cod or like a 50-centimeter yellow because of the way it was hooked. And you, I, would, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you are kidding me. Anyway, that, that just added to our frustration. And then we thought, all right, let's get some fish. Let's try and chase yellows on the standing trees. Let's see if we can roll grubs up the trees and see what we can do. But with this temperature, the fish were just extremely slow for some reason. We worked a row of standing trees. The trees were in about 16 meters. And we were hoping fish would be sitting halfway up these trees. We're rolling grubs up these trees. And Chris left his spin rod back at camp. So he had a bait caster set up that had 14-pound leader and 20-pound and braid or 30-pound braid. He tied a 14-pound leader on it because we were going to roll grubs up trees. I think he took a heavy leader off it. So he'd, um, we were fishing trees for ages for a good hour and a half and he's feeding it down. So he, he could only do about one drop to every two drops of mine and he's feeding the line out. So it's actually sinking a lot slower than mine. 
feeding it out, feeding it out, feeding it out. And then all of a sudden he felt it tick and he's clicked it in and then bang, he was on halfway down. So we're thinking, right, we've got a good yellow. But as he's lifted into this fish, this is a bait caster set up too, not a heavy one, but one you'd use in a river. He was on and this fish was going bang, bang, like big head shakes and thumping and he's, he's pulling it out. And I'm like, this is a good fish. I was like, get it out. And uh, it could have been a 60 centimeter yellow. It could have been, it would have been a monster of a yellow. But I feel like it was more like a decent cod, like at least a 70, maybe 80 centimeter cod, just the way it was pulling. So I'm like, get it out away from the trees because if it gets you around the tree, you're no good. But then as he's pulling it out, this is the things we have to think about as anglers. So just take note of this and you this will come with experience. So bang, he's hooked up, right? You're on. Thinking it's a golden, within a couple of seconds, you realize, right, this is a good fish. So this goes through your brain as quickly, like so quickly. And this is the difference between success and failure in fishing. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it and sometimes we're lucky. But if you do stuff correctly more often, you'll get more luck than you will bad luck. That's how it works. So within a couple of seconds, we realize, okay, good fish. And this is what I'm thinking too, being me on the driver, I'm driving the electric motor, we're right up against this tree, I have an important role to play here as well. He's on, right? Uh, within two or three seconds, I realize it's a good fish. He's got two hands on the rod, it's thumping and it's taking a big couple of thumps and Chris is leaning away from the tree like, and trying to pull it out. Instantly, I'm like, okay, good fish. And I called to him, get it away from the tree. It's a good fish, it's going to wrap you. So instantly, he's pulling away from the tree and then I'm like, don't let it run, don't let it run. But then it's done a couple of big lunges. Now, me with the electric motor, what my role was here was to just drift this back away from the tree ever so slowly because I don't want to move too quickly because then that puts a lot of pressure on Chris's gear, especially when it's a light setup. So basically, I wanted him to get this fish under control, get it slightly away from the tree and I, as the driver, just had to slowly drift us away. If it was a different situation, I may have gone quickly. You know, it just depends. But in this situation, my job was just to move slowly away. Now, Chris, is, he was pulling and, and as I said, get him out, I realized, hang on, you've only got a jig head, a quarter ounce jig head or not even a six ounce jig head that's a size one hook and it's a very fine gauge hook like it's made for golden perch and Chris and he'd, he'd opened it a hook at one of these hooks earlier in the day on a tree just snagging like they open pretty easy because we're not using them to chase decent cod and in, then I'm like I said to him I said go get him away get him away get him away but be careful you've got um, a light gauge hook like be careful it doesn't open you up on the hook so me, if I realize something, you've got to relay that to your mate because him fighting the fish, he might not realize that. You know, this all happens quick. So when you're catching fish, it's not just a solo thing, especially if there's two of you. You know, if you've thought of something, you you tell your mate, you know, and it's even if you hook a fish, right, and it's not hooked properly and the net man sees that it's only just hooked, that's got to, they've got to yell out to you, mate, he's only just hooked, just free spool him or or back your drag right off or, or whatever. You know, it's a game, it's a, it's a team game. And Chris is fighting it and within a good probably oh, three seconds, probably not even four seconds, all this happened and he was gone. He was gone and Chris was spewing and he didn't bust him in the end and he didn't open the hook. He just fell off somehow. He basically lost it. Um, anyway, Chris, not a happy, not a happy man. Uh, and we were, you know, we're nearly 24 hours of fishing now. We didn't fish that old time. Like we fished from 4.35 o'clock the day before and it was now 11.30 the next day. 44 degrees. It was probably about 38, 39 degrees at that time of day. And, you know, that's tough. That's tough. And we all go through it. And that's why I'm telling you this story because 
it's not all we don't all always catch fish and we've just done this massive session you know we're quite successful in our fishing we believe like we we get out there we we do a lot of fishing we know how to catch these fish and sometimes we don't and that's just how it goes so you guys out there we all have fishless trips anyway that was the first day and we headed back to camp no one had caught a thing Talus's yellow was the sole fish of the trip at the time and basically now we we sat it out the temperature was extremely hot um, and we basically sat out from 12 o'clock till 6 o'clock sat under the gazebos and Chris happened to bring a bait rod and for those of you who ever go to Burrenjuk you go there in summer you fish you just find any bank just a flattish bank one that you can camp on chuck out some bait and you will smash the carp the carp were just insane they were everywhere um, and by us catching as many carp as we, I think we caught 12 or 15 carp and we were only mucking around so we could have caught more only because we were sitting there under our gazebos, it was stinking hot, we had nothing else to do. Chris happened to have a rod and some corn so uh, we basically just threw out a couple of bait rods and they were barely in the water and you'd be on, 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 like they just kept going and they weren't big. They were anywhere from, um, no, some of them are up around that 45 centimeter mark, but there were a few around that 30, even smaller, 20 centimeters. And that actually, just in that itself, helped me understand the waterway. There's that much bait in there. As we were catching these fish and how many were jumping on that quickly, I was saying to Talos and Chris, no wonder we're, we're struggling or no wonder we struggle in this lake sometimes or maybe this is why we're not catching fish of the minute. There are carp everywhere and there's so much bait. Like they are this perfect snack-sized carp and, and a big cod only has to eat one of those 40, 30-centimeter carp, you know, and they're, and they're full. Like they're not going to touch a lure. And a carp is extremely natural to them whereas our lures aren't. Like you're never going to be able to match the natural present bait that they eat as good as using it you know what I mean and obviously we don't use carp but we're never going to be able to match it perfect which means they're always going to pick a carp over our lure and there's a bazillion carp out there so what are the chances of them meeting our lure it's pretty slim so that in itself I was like right so there's so many carp I looked at their color and their size and thought you know and and it will work in there is swim baits big high deep profile swim baits in like a silver color would be a prime lure to use uh, at Burrenjuk. You know, you got to match what they feed on and carp would be an extreme primary food source for them as well as redfin. So that in itself, uh, we learned something from. Anyway, we come around to six o'clock, you know, we had a heap of time to prep our gear and we headed back out. Now, having no success fishing shallower in and amongst the timber, our plan was to fish deeper and to fish that cooler water because we had that hit down deep. So we thought, let's find the deeper water and the cooler water. And the cooler water is in the main basin and towards the main basin. So we were fishing near the main basin at this time um, and we basically spent the Arvo working quite deep uh, in about that, oh, what are we working about? That 12, 10, 9, 8 meter mark um, and fishing parallel rather than casting diagonally in against the bank. I much prefer on a steep, rocky bank to cast diagonal, diagonally forward. So my lure is landing in three or four meters and I'm fishing it down to that eight or nine meter mark where it rolls and comes back up to the boat. Um, obviously, a flatter bank is totally different. I'm talking about quite a steep rocky bank here. And the reason we went for these banks is because we wanted to get to structure where we knew fish were and deep. So, and we'd, we'd tried the trees and we had no success. And we did this for the afternoon, six, seven, eight, 8.30 come around, I think quarter to nines when the sun went down. Now, the one thing about fishing like that, fishing deep and parallel and casting, is it's not an overly, 
uh, it's not an overly, it's not, it's a successful technique. Successful is not the right word, but it, it, it doesn't put your lure in the zone for long enough, I don't think. So casting diagonally in against the bank, I like because your lure is in the zone about, you know, three, four, five seconds after it lands on the water because it sinks and boom, it's in the zone and you're fishing it down and it's as it comes back up, it's not as much in the zone at the end there in that bit where it swings up from the bottom and comes up to you. But when you cast parallel on a deep bank, like we're on a steep bank, we're in, you know, eight or nine meters, takes ages for the lure to hit the bottom. And it also takes a massive distance off your cast. So by the time it sinks, you know, it's swung its way down. It's just cut off a bunch of meters from your cast. And then you retrieve it and it comes up straight away because your angle down to the lure is quite steep. So it comes up straight away and then you might pause, let it swing back down a little bit, up and down, up and down, and then back up to the boat. So it's not down there for very long. And the time it takes to get it down there and the skill it takes to keep the boat positioned precisely to allow you to effectively fish that deep is difficult. It's a, it's a difficult process. And because your lure is not down there for very long, you basically, your time of the lure in the zone isn't as much. So I, I, it's, not a, it's, such, it's not a great successful way to catch them. If I was doing a parallel technique on, a, on a, like a nice rocky bank that wasn't super steep and we were in four or five meters like I do in winter time or four, you know, four, five, even three meters, that's fine. Your lure gets to the bottom, boom, it's there. You roll it along. It stays there because your angle is quite flat. Whereas when it's that deep, the angle is quite steep down to that lure and it doesn't stay in the zone very long. So we did this, we did it effectively and we fished a short bank because we to cover the bank, we needed to fish slow, we need to put more casts in to get it through there and it would work and obviously we need one fish, bang, one good fish and it makes you trip and that was what our plan was but it just didn't feel right. But anyway, we did it for three, three and a half hours. We run into Talus, we made it to the main base and, and I run into Tal. And they had their lights on in the boat, so I went up to I went up to I remember this, and I went up and I, it was glassed out. It felt good. It was still stinking hot, but it felt good. And it was a slightly cooler on the main basin air temperature, so I'm guessing down below was too. And I said to Tal, I said, "Hey, how'd you go?" And he goes, "Nah, rubbish." He said, "We just worked that bank so good and not a touch." And I could tell in his voice he was not happy. He was like, "That that's ridiculous. Like we've fished flat out." Um, the Arvo night session the night before, the morning session, another Arvo session and not a touch. And we were using, they were using mumblers and spinnerbaits and lures that, you know, a 60 or 70 centimeter fish would grab as well as a big fish. And, you know, when you're out there, big fish, I love chasing big fish purely, um, especially in winter. They're, they're a fish you go after in winter. And, and I talked about this to the, the boys on the trip. Winter, I don't mind. I'll go two, three, four days in winter because I know that that hit, bang, will be a big fish because we're chasing big fish. But a summer trip is about activity. Like our expectations are active fish, you know, some numbers and maybe if we're lucky an 80 centimeter fish or a bit bigger. Summer's not about those giant fish. Um, They are there. You do get them, but they're not as consistent as winter. And the fact that we were struggling to catch fish in summer you know, meant that the next one we get is probably actually going to be small, but we just could not work out why they were shut down and we all put it down. We put it down to that temperature and at this stage, we had now learnt and I was talking to Tal and at this point, I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we're going to troll. We're going to to troll and get down deep and keep our lures down deep and I thought exactly the same thing. When he said it, I said, it's a great idea. I said, I think we need to do it. 
Now, trolling isn't the most exciting style of fishing and it's something I barely do anymore, especially in the big impoundments chasing big cod because the art of casting and the style of casting a lure is just so much more fun. Um, and any, any other lure caster will tell you that, that like that episode I did with Lubin, he's like, trolling is just boring. And it is boring. At this point, though, we, were, we wanted to get a fish. We wanted to get that big hit and that hook up. We wanted to get something. And trolling was a good option because, one, we'd had a hit down deep with Chris, you know, 11 meters. We, we'd casted that many sessions, not getting them. And we tried casting deep, but it was just didn't feel right. So trolling, good option. So Talus tied, they tied on some hard bodies and they trolled off one direction. And we were on this point and I'd pretty well give, not given up, but thought far out. I don't even know what kind of structure to fish now. Like I was starting to question myself. And we're on this bank. We come out of out of the where we were past this rocky point and it was just this flat bank. Like it, was, it wasn't flat, but it was a nothing bank compared to the banks that Burrenjack has. And that's just happened to be where we were sitting and it was glassed out and I love glassy conditions. If you hear me talk, some people will say wind, a bit of breeze. Talos likes a little bit of a breeze. I glassed out absolutely my favorite condition love it in the dark when you're fishing in the dark in the dam love it glassed out because i'm all about boat control and controlling the boat and putting it in the exact right spot and working along a bank perfectly you know getting the right casts and it's very hard to do in the dark with wind because you can't see the bank you can't judge yourself off anything so it's hard to tell if you're moving forwards, left, right, backwards because I'm only moving extremely slow. So when a bit of a breath of wind comes up, that makes it hard. But what happened was I thought, oh, we'll just fish this maybe. Like I'll just try working this bank, um, something different. So Tail went off and trolled rocky banks and we stayed where we were but we casted for another 45 minutes to an hour because I thought, oh, we'll keep casting. We'll see how we go. So now we're on a flatter bank and basically on a flatter bank, you can cast anywhere you can cast absolutely anywhere so i was casting sort of forwards and diagonally out a bit and chris was casting a hard body in against the bank because it was flat his hard body was actually tracking the bottom we were sitting in that uh, 10 meter mark i think about nine or ten meters trying to fish deeper and because it was a flatter bank i'd pitch a cast as far as i can and once it was down there um it kind of just stayed down there and i just rolled it through and paused it every now and then and got it back to the bottom casting flatter banks are so much easier and we cruised along for a bit and it was you know nothing much was happening and then on the side imaging there was a little bit of a rock here and there and a little tiny log or a stump here or there which was enough to keep me interested we did it for half an hour and after about half an hour we started seeing a, a couple of fish here and there and that got me you know a little bit more confident there'd be an arch here or there and chris was looking at the sounder and, and i think most of it was just little bits of bait carp here and there but it's something if it was completely empty i probably would have only fished it for half an hour and moved on but you know there was a little bit there and i was like i oh, will just keep going it's glassed out i'm feeling good here i have that feeling and the feeling is just it's so incredible when it comes to fishing there's just a feeling that you get once you do a bit more cod fishing you get onto some good fish there's a sometimes fish come out of the middle of nowhere you just got no idea and you're just on you just have no idea but sometimes it doesn't feel like you're gonna catch a fish but what you're doing feels good. The technique feels good and you feel like you're in the zone and that's the feeling you want. So we worked along and after about 45 minutes, there was some good fish showing up and I think we saw a couple of good cod sitting down on the bottom. But I wanted to get up to this rocky patch, this shallow rocky patch that I knew was along this bank somewhere um, from from memory. It was a very shallow bit, but there was a rocky patch to it and I thought maybe there'll be some fish sitting on that and I wanted to cast that. That was my whole plan. 
And I thought, oh, it's, I don't know how far away it is, but I feel like we're not getting much, much closer to it. So I thought, oh, we'll, we'll do a bit of trolling because we were going to troll, so let's let's have a crack. And we'll troll up to this rocky patch, troll over it, see what's going on, and we'll get a better of idea on the sounder once we start moving. And that's another thing. With your sounder, if you've got a down scan and a side imaging or side scan, they work a bazillion times better when you're moving. Basically... When you're sitting still, it's bouncing off the same thing you're sitting next to. So, it gives you this stretch out view of nothing. Like, it's very hard to read. And I basically don't even read it really when I'm sitting still. It just gives you this stretched out view. Um, When you start moving, trolling speed, that's when it prints the best picture, a really good picture of what's going on under the water. And a really good tip for fishing with a sounder is to troll a bank, see if there's fish on it, see if there's structure on it, and then pull up in the key part of that bank and cast. And a lot of the things we do in the impoundments now, especially in winter, is we look for bait. And it's a good way to look for bait is to troll, find the bait, and when you do find the bait, then that's the bank you want to cast. So just remember that as a handy little tip um, for the future and if you've got a sounder and a better way to use it. So then what we did was you basically trolled. And I tied on 150mm AC Invader in the 40-foot bib and Chris tied on a 100mm Strike Force Cod Stalker in the deep bib. Um, Chris didn't have any trolling lures. I had barely any trolling lures as well, as well because I don't do a heap of trolling, but I've got a tackle box that summarizes all my lures. Um, I've got one just purely for trolling, but I've got another one which has got a bit of everything, and that's the one I usually take, um, plus I take my plastics box and a couple others. But this one here had... had you know, two or th- I had two deep diving 150mm ACs. I had two or three shallow diving 150mm ACs and a few others, 90mm and things like that. But I wanted to troll, basically wanted to get the lures down deep. And I gave one of the lures that I had, the deep bib 150s to Jack, who was with Tal, because he wanted to do a bit of trolling. Um, and I had one left. So I was trolling and basically I was trolling along we trolled for about 15 minutes and I was sort of, my depth was changing from about uh, 12 to 8 meters. So we we're in 8 meters and then it'd get to 10 and then, no, nah, it wasn't even 12, sorry, it was 10. Between 10 and 8 meters, the depth was getting to. And I reckon we were trolling for no joke about 15 minutes, like only 15 minutes. And we were seeing fish on the sounder and we spotted one fish that was sitting three meters off the bottom, like he was sitting quite high on the sounder, which was good. Um, and our lures were running in seven meters, seven and a half meters, because that's as deep as we could get them. And also because we were fishing in that eight meter mark, and then sometimes we'd drift out to 10 accidentally, and I'd try and pull us back into eight. So we're in that eight meter mark, and our lures were in seven and a half, so, you know, half a meter off the bottom, which was perfect. We're trolling along. And we, we were out in 10 meters. I'd accidentally gone out into 10 meters and I got absolutely crunched. Like I was on and this fish was pulling hard. And I just said to Chris and the boys, I said, like, I know we do a lot of casting and I used to do quite a lot of trolling, but I do love the hit on the troll. It's a different hit. Um, and I missed it and I was like, I'd love to get another hit on the troll. As soon as we started trolling, I was like, yeah, it's been so long since I've trolled. Like, it's boring, but I do love a good hit from a big cod on the troll because a big hit on the cast is very, very different. A lot of the times, you know, depending on how the fish moves, it comes at you. Whereas on the troll, because your boat's moving, you seem to just hook up and they just scream off and it's like a massive hit and you're just on. And that's what happened. This thing just crunt, like hammered the lure, absolutely hammered it, ripped the rod back, started peeling drag. And a lot of the times what I do 
is when I'm casting and when I'm trolling, I do the same thing is tension is so important and, and keeping the same tension when you hook up. So when I hook up on the cast, a lot of the times the fish will swim at me a lot of the times because you're hooking them shallow and their first instinct is to go deep and that's towards the boat. So what they do is they come at you. So you strike and your rod's up high and you need to keep tension. And as soon as you do a, a lift and wind sort of technique on big cod, that it just seems the hook seems to fall out on these big fish. I barely even do the lift and wind technique unless the fish has come out near the boat. Like all I do at the start is just wind. But what I do when I strike in the boat, if if I'm struggling to keep tension and the rod's up behind my head, I run to the back of the boat. So I run to the back of the boat to pick up all the slack. And when I'm trolling, it's normally it's almost instinct for me to do the same thing because you'll feel it you hook up bang you're on you got one hand and it's going hard as soon as you turn around a lot of the times the fish will decide to swim this way and if it does you're in trouble because you got slack line and you do not want slack line with cod so what i always do is a hook up bang them on kill the electric um or if not, run to the front of the boat first. I, what I do is I get up, take three or four steps, jump up the front of the boat, up near the nose of the boat, and just turn my body around and make sure I've got a good bend in the rod. If the fish is absolutely running like flat knacker, then just stay where you are. But barely has that happened to me. I normally run to the front of the boat and then kill the electric once I've got good tension on the fish and I've got him under control and I can just keep winding. And this is what happened here. I got to the front of the boat, had good tension, still had the fish on. I was, I was on. I was cheering. Took a big, he took a big lunge and then he stopped, and he stopped. And then I'm like, and then I tried to pull him up, and I thought he was snagged. A dead set thought he was snagged. And I'm like, this fish is snagged. Like he's got me on a tree, and I'm pulling, and I'm thought, oh. And then I put like wound the rod right down to the water and lifted, and then I felt his weight, and I could feel him coming. And I was like, holy moly, this is a monster. And that's the feeling you get when you're onto like a 120 or 130 centimeter fish that you just cannot move them. They're like a big dead weight. And that's what this fish felt like. And he felt massive. And I thought, this is a monster. And I'm getting, and the, the adrenaline is just pumping. I don't know you guys listening, if you've ever come in contact with a big fish, you've worked hard for it. You know, this is, we've worked for two days. Like this is our last session because we were going to go hard this night and fish late. And we just didn't want to go home with a donut. Like there's nothing worse. And when you fish hard and you hook onto a big fish, you know, you're like, wow, like this is it. Like this is what we worked for. This is what we worked so hard for, for these two days. Like it's happening. And I'm winding this fish up and I was shaking like, I've caught plenty of big fish, but, you know, every big fish is special, especially when you've worked hard for it. You know, haven't caught one on the troll for a while. haven't really trolled much, a lot. But the technique had come together. We fished deeper. We found a hungry fish. He'd smashed it, come to the top, hit the surface. And as soon as the fish gets mid-water, I always back off my drag a bit. And if not, especially when it gets to the top. And as soon as he hit the surface, I the first thing I do is look for how the fish is hooked and he was just hooked on the top of the head on the outside of the head and that's why he felt so big the hooks weren't in his jaw at all he had one hook on one side of his head and the other hook on the other side of his head behind his eyes so they were like on the top of his head so whether he actually wanted to eat that lure or whether he just kind of charged into it i don't know it i don't know i imagine he's just charged it which isn't a good sign it means they're a little bit shut down they're quite shut down but he's charged at this lure he was on anyway and basically what i did is i backed the drag right off like super light 
I didn't care if he took off and took a heap of line, but if he kicked really hard, there's a good chance it was going to just fall out of his head. He popped up and he was coming straight at the boat. Got Chris to put the net in the water and he just stayed stayed where he was. He didn't splash, didn't splash, and he just glided straight into the net. And we got him straight into that and it was such a good feeling. When a big fish just hits the net, it's absolutely incredible. Couldn't, could not believe it. We'd landed it. All that effort had paid off. And what we did is we learnt from the situation. And after Chris's hit from deep, we fished deeper. Now, this lure wasn't sitting in 10 metres. We hit, the fish was caught in 10 metres. The lure was running in seven and a bit metres, seven and a half metres. And the fish was sitting up off the bottom. And when we saw that fish sitting up off the bottom, it gave me a good feeling that these fish were out feeding and hunting. And I'm guessing that's what this fish was doing. It was incredible. Got him up. I called him for a metre three, a metre five. Like he was a big fat fish, heavy, really big. He ended up 98 centimetres, just shy of, of another metre. But, you know, still stoked. He was everything but a metre. He felt like a metre. He looked like one, like he was a quality fish. Um, and yeah, just absolutely stoked. Caught him on colour 74 uh, in the 150mm AC. Uh, it was a cracker, cracker of a fish. Um, and, and, it just topped off an incredible session, which was unreal. We finally, finally broke through it at 10.30 at night. And this was on this flatter bank. And what we did is we ended up getting the, getting the photo, releasing the fish, and we, we got back into trolling. So I basically dropped the lure back down, just trolling along, uh, cast it back out, got it back down, and Chris cast his back out. And we basically drifted back a little bit, so we're kind of trolling over the same patch. And no joke... We're in about eight meters within a minute and a half. Would not have been two minutes. I got smashed again. I was on again. I'd hooked up again and Chris was like, you are kidding. We'd just fished for two days and I'd hooked up the two fish in, there's probably 15 minutes between the two fish because by the time, you know, we hooked him, got him up, photo, sorted out everything in the boat for five minutes and then put everything away and then got trolling again, minute and a half trolling and bang, I was on. Like, could not believe it on. Got into the top, and he thrashed around, ended up losing him. Um, he fell off, but he was probably about 90 centimetres. So I was spewing, absolutely gutted that I'd lost a, another quality fish, but still good that I got the bigger one and, and did get one. Um, and then we thought, you know, we're onto something here. Like, we might get a couple more if we're lucky, but that was it. The window had gone. And that's a thing that happens with cod, especially in dams, is you'll find these incredible bite windows that they just bite for... 20 minutes, 10 minutes, maybe half an hour. Um, it fishes really, really well, and then they're dead. When we caught that second fish, we called, or we missed that second fish, we called Talos and, and Jack and called them over to the bank and said, come over here if you haven't had any luck. They did have a hit on the rocky bank in about nine metres, eight metres, uh, which was another good sign. So obviously these fish were sitting deeper because of the temperature. And when they got over to our bank, within 30 seconds of trolling along the bank, they landed a 60-centimetre cod on that bank. So nowhere near the same size, but still landed a cod and got a cod in the boat, which was good. And yeah, it just goes to show that those fish had moved deeper. So we had these 44-degree temperatures, super, super hot. They weren't feeding in the tops of the trees. They had moved down deeper. Uh, and I believe it was based on the hot weather. It could have been a couple of other factors as well that they were only feeding down there, but it makes sense that that top water column was extremely hot. It got hot really quick and the fish were sitting and feeding down deeper. And what was key about this bank was the bait on it. We found these bits of bait, bits of carp and redfin scattered on this bank. We found big cod sitting up feeding on them. And that's where we found success. So we fished the rocky banks, we fished the timber, we fished the structure the whole time. 
and those key areas where the fish are, but they're not always hungry in those areas. But those areas fish really well when the whole lake's active. And it probably would have been if it was like a 34-degree temperature, nice water temperature, you know, in that mid-20 degrees and, and fishing well. We would have got some good fish off the rocky banks. But it didn't work, and we, we basically found some bait. Uh, we found cod out feeding on them. And I think the trick and what the, the big difference was was fishing deep and keeping our lures in the zone deep, and that was trolling. Because trolling, we could get them down there and leave them down there. And because the bank didn't change a whole heap, we stayed in that good depth down deep and we managed to find a fish, which I was absolutely stoked about and it topped off. Well, it made the trip well and truly worth it. And you learn on every trip. Um, if we didn't get a fish, we would have gone home going, man, that sucked. It was hard work. I still would have learned something. And what I like to do is always take something positive away from the trip. Um, being away on the water is just great as it is. As you'd know, just for many of you, it's just a time to get out and relax and chill and, and a fish is a bonus. But we love, we love our fish. We love catching our fish, but I still would have learned something and taken something away from that trip. But catching that fish helped me learn even more because then we worked out what did work. And I've basically explained that all to you now. So that's what I took away from the trip. It was tough. You know, it, it also goes to show that you just don't give up. Like, do not give up. Keep going hard. You know, you, you can get the results. And the boys, Talison, I feel for Talison Jack, like they fished harder than Chris and I. That first night, they went for a couple of hours longer than us. And that night, we pulled the pin at 2 o'clock in the morning. So we got that fish at 10.30 and missed that other one at like 10.40. And then we fished hard and nothing else till uh, two. And Talus and Jack fished till three, had a sleep for two hours and then started again at five. And they they didn't get anything else. And, and we didn't get up in the morning because, yeah, needed a bit of sleep uh, because I understand how important sleep is for you. And I need more than a couple of hours sleep. But Tal worked worked his butt off and the poor, the, the poor fellas, they did not. They got, a, they got a yellow and a small cod and they didn't get that trophy fish. But... Talus does that all the time and he does get results. So he'll do that again on his next trip and his next trip and then bam, he's going to get a cracker of a fish. So those hours do pay off and trust me, he gets some quality fish and he deserves every single one of those fish he gets. He works very hard for them. And sometimes we have these really lucky runs and we get some really good fish. I had a really good winter this year. Um, Talus had a great season a few years ago and then in other seasons you struggle. But if you keep up the efforts, you keep up the work, you will get the fish. But I hope you basically took something away from that trip. You know, maybe you learn a little bit about burrowing juck that you didn't know about. Um, and the, the key thing to take away from that is is try different techniques, fish different depths, you know, cast, troll, try different lures. But don't just swap all the time. Don't just go from this to that to that to that every half an hour because that doesn't help teach you anything. It doesn't help you learn and figure the fish out. What you need to do is you need to do a technique that has worked in the past or that has worked for other people like my mate it had worked for a week before. Solid session doing that. If the whole session is dead, then we're like, right out, we need to work out what's going on and then take note on what happens. You know, we fished this bank. We weren't fishing a super steep bank, but Chris got this hit down deep um, casting. So that was something we took away from it and tried the next night we fish deeper. So I hope you learned something or took something away from that episode, guys, and I really do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, we've got plenty more awesome episodes coming up, more interviews. The next episode coming up is with Chris, and we talk about surface fishing. It's a super exciting episode. But 
I hope you enjoy it. Please keep sending through your comments, send through emails, let us know if you're enjoying the podcast. As I mentioned, let us know who you want us to interview and please review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, please give us a review there and let us know what you think about the Social Fishing Podcast. I really enjoy sitting down and talking to you guys. It's been a while since I've done an episode on my own uh, and just had a chat about you know a trip and I hope you enjoy these little trip overviews and me sharing what we've been doing and what we learned from our trips. Hope you enjoyed. There's plenty more episodes coming up in the future. If you guys are after more fishing content and can't get enough, there's obviously another 26 podcast episodes. Our website has heaps of articles. We've actually got an article from a few years ago of a couple of big meter cod I caught at Burrenjuk Dam. Um, it's on the website. You know, scroll through. There's so many cod, golden perch articles. There's articles on barometer, um, plenty of stuff on there. Also, we've got the free freshwater mini-series, which you may have heard or seen about before. You can jump on our website and check out that. And we also have a super, super cool project that we've been working on that is coming out very soon. Uh, where What are we in? We're February. We're early February. I'm hoping to have it up in late March. So stay tuned for it. This is going to be a game changer. I've mentioned it a couple of times on social media. It is seriously going to be something that we've never had before and I really can't wait to share it with you guys and I really hope you guys get on board, support us so we can keep doing what we're doing and create more content. I'm not going to share with you what it is yet. Just keep tuning into the podcast because this will be the first place that I do release what we are doing to you guys. So if you're a, a mad keen follower, a supporter of this podcast, um, make sure you keep listening and tuning into the episodes because I will be explaining and releasing what it is in a future episode in the not too distant future. And I'll also be sharing it on our email list. Make sure you jump onto the email list as well if you haven't already. Jump on the website and you can sign up to the email list and I send out plenty of fishing content, more stuff. There's one email that I'll be sending out that's all about a story about a video that I watched about um, a fellow who hooks onto this big cod and tries to fight this big meter cod and just the decisions he made in the situation that lost him the fish but what he could have done to help him catch it. Things like that we share. Basically, I just love sharing content. So you can jump on there if you haven't already um, and I send out plenty of emails there with extra content. Once again, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading the episode and listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope you guys get heaps out of this content that we share with you. The podcast, I love putting it together. And until next time, this is the Social Fishing Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in and I'll be talking to you in the not too distant future. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.